to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with experts and trendsetters who are leading innovation in law enforcement, private security, and personal protection. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Welcome to episode 16 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. In this episode, we will be talking to Stefan Baez of Blue Line Spectrum Safety. Stefan is a veteran cop with the Addison Police Department in Illinois and has created an innovative training course to teach cops strategies for safe interactions with individuals who have autism and other intellectual disabilities. As you will learn in the show, Stefan happens to have two autistic children, and his desire to create this course was born out of his own concerns as a parent for how law enforcement might misunderstand the actions and intentions of his children without the proper training to correctly interpret them. So with that, let's jump into my interview with Stefan Baez of Blue Line Spectrum Safety. Hey, Stefan, welcome to the show. Adam, it's been an honor to be with you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, it's. Um, I've been excited to have you on when you reached out to me. And uh, you've got a very unique idea that you have uh, been working on. And you're, you're working on training law enforcement specifically to meet the needs of responding to individuals with autism and how law enforcement interacts with, with uh, individuals with autism. So tell me more about that. So really what we want to do is create a level of acceptance and understanding when interacting with our special needs communities within all of our jurisdictions. I'm still an active duty police officer, so I I understand it from the perspective of law enforcement officers, but we've seen hundreds of incidents across this country where officers have had interactions with people with disabilities and they've gone horribly, horribly wrong. And when you look deeper into those incidents, it's really, um, most of those incidents are very preventable. If we just, the officers had a little bit of training, we're able to recognize some of the characteristics and signs associated with autism. It's very easy to misrepresent or misunderstand some of those behaviors and characteristics because they look like, you know, the individuals being evasive or uncooperative or maybe under the influence when it's really not. It's the actual disability manifesting themselves in those behaviors. So my goal, my training, and the reason why I started my company is because it is critical for us as law enforcement to get um, this training when interacting with all people with disabilities, specifically autism. The difference with autism is with some disabilities, you can see there's some physical characteristics associated with that disability. But with autism, there's not. And it's what we call a class or classify as a hidden disability, meaning there are no physical characteristics for you to identify someone with autism. So it's very easy to have an interaction with somebody and never really understand or realize that they have this disability associated with them because there's no physical characteristics with it. So being able to recognize these characteristics and behaviors and maybe switch gears in the middle of this call for service and saying, well, maybe this person isn't being uncooperative or evasive or isn't under the influence and it's really a disability um, that I'm not recognizing or not seeing. And it's really the goal of my company and 
the goal, my personal goal is to train as many law enforcement officers across the country relating to autism as I possibly can. Now, I think you made an interesting distinction there, an important one. And uh, I, I quite frankly don't understand why it's taken as long as it has for us uh, in the law enforcement community to recognize this as something that needs to be trained on and trained on individually on its own merit. And the distinction that you made is that autism specifically is a disability, not a mental illness. And we train a lot with a focus of mental illness in mind. Uh, you know, CIT training, which is phenomenal training, really is based on the idea of somebody who is struggling with a mental illness and our uh, response to those types of situations. And I think those individuals who are suffering from disabilities kind of just unfortunately get lumped into that training as a, oh yeah, them too kind of thing, right? And it's really not... That's really not an appropriate response to it. And so I think that's a very interesting and, and uh, important distinction that you made. And it really is. And, you know, and I'm, I'm a CIT instructor here in Illinois, and we do when we get, you know, 40 hour block of instruction on CIT, and I get two hours to cover intellectual or development disabilities and autism. So out of this 40 hour block, I get two hours to cram in as much as I possibly can. And you know, they, they are very, very different. And, you know, autism, intellectual and developmental disabilities are not a mental health issue. They are separate, but some of the strategies and things we can use are very similar. And that's a good thing, but understanding the differences is critical as well. I mean, somebody with an intellectual or development of disability, about three quarters of that population may suffer a comorbid or another related disability associated with it. Could be a mental health issue, could be anxiety, could be ADHD, all those things completed together can you know add to that disability as well. But yes, they are very different. They are not a mental health illness. It is a se separate disability associated with it. And it's critical to know the differences because well, we know that a mental illness can be treatable, you know, with therapy and different medications. You know, intellectual or developmental disability is a lifelong diagnosis. It's never going away. And you can't really cure those disabilities or treat those disabilities with medication. So it's something that's going to be very different. You know, we know mental health is treatable and people can overcome it and be very, very successful. But intellectual and developmental disabilities never go away. They're lifelong. And that's a big difference that we should really be discussing and talking about and where officers need to understand that. Yeah. Now you've mentioned a couple of times that you're not just focused on autism here. I mean, autism is, I think, sort of at the forefront of what you're teaching and you're training on. Is that just because autism is is far more prevalent than some of the other uh, mental disabilities and uh, that uh, you are specifically uh, training on people to address? My expert, I don't want to say expertise, but my expertise is in autism. But a lot of the strategies for an intellectual or developmental disability are very, very similar. So it's kind of my training that I do is kind of encompasses all of that. But the big difference is, is some with some intellectual disabilities, there are some outward physical signs like association with Down syndrome. There are some physical characteristics where yeah. officers can recognize that and treat things very, very differently. But again, we're going back to it. You can't look at somebody and say, oh, they have an autism diagnosis. There are no physical characteristics. What I think is the big key is why I focus on autism is because we really have to focus on the behaviors um, and the characteristics associated with it and recognize this disability through those things as opposed to some outward physical appearance. So tell me a little bit more about, I guess, what's at stake here? Because I, I have to be honest, I mean, my 
my personal understanding of autism is really not what it should be. And so, and, and I mean, henceforth the problem here, right? You know, I spent a 15 year career in law enforcement and I don't think that was ever a challenge that I was ever faced with was to deal with a child with, with autism. Um, so I'm not really sure how to recognize that or how it presents itself. And, and more importantly, why that presents such a problem or a challenge for those of us in law enforcement. Well, I, I mean, 20 years in law enforcement, when I first went to the police academy 20 years ago, I had never even heard of autism and we definitely didn't yeah. get any training with it, you know, early in my career. It wasn't until the past few years that we've really, it's really come to the forefront and really, un unfortunately, what it is, is it's negative interactions between law enforcement and an individual with autism that's really making you know, national media coverage that it's starting to surface, like where departments and officers saying, oh, we really need to get some more training in this because number one, we don't want these negative interactions. No law enforcement officer wants to have a negative interaction and misinterpret some, some behaviors as something that it's not, but it also reduces the civil liability associated with our departments. And by better handling situations, we, we protect the individual we protect the officer, but yet we protect our agencies as well. And I think that's a critical thing. And we've seen some of these incidents, most recent in Salt Lake City, um, where a 13-year-old young man was shot by Salt Lake City police. Not saying I'm not saying what the officers did were wrong based off the situation. And I only know some snippets of that incident, and I watched some of the body camera footage. And there were some things that could have been done better on both sides of that interaction to kind of prevent maybe that incident from happening, but another incident was in Buckeye, Arizona, and where an officer just misrepresents the young man's characteristics as being under the influence, and he was a DRE, so that's what he's trained to do. Um, and the young man involved in that incident had autism, and he was um, displaying a characteristic called stimming, which is a self-stimulating behavior, and there's an attachment to inanimate objects. So in this case, that, end of, that young man had a piece of string, and he was twirling it in his fingers, it drew the attention of the officer. The officer saw his characteristics and through his training and experience believed that he was under the influence. And that was not the case. Um, and what happens is the officer goes hands-on with this young man and he starts to pull away. He starts to resist. So in the officer's eyes, the young man's resisting, but it's not. And it's that hypersensitivity associated with autism where it's even the slightest touch can trigger a fight-or-flight response. And it's exactly what happened on the situation. But when I see that incident and I see that body camera footage of that, that interaction, um, it's clear that it's, that incident was very preventable with a little bit of training. For me, I am the father of two sons with autism. So for me, I live this every day. So in the brief interaction that officer has with this young man, there are some giant red flags that I see are indicators of autism. But I live this every day. Most cops do not. And that's why this training is so important because if we understand that, we can maybe change gears during an interaction and handle things a little bit differently to prevent incidents like that from happening again in any of our towns or any of our agencies. So what are you, uh, now I don't want you to give away all your secrets here, right? Cause we still want people to pay for the course, but yeah, <laughs> uh, but um, tell me, I mean, how would you train an officer to respond to that situation that's that you just detailed for us. I mean, what, what are you training them to look for and recognize? How would I, if I was walking up on that and I'm that DRE, how would I know that that's a child with autism and, and be able to recognize that as being something different than what he believed to be somebody under the influence? 
Well, and really what it starts out is understanding what autism is and what the characteristics are. And the first part of that is to know that autism affects three main areas for pretty standard across the population board. And it is communication, social interaction, and then those restrictive and repetitive behaviors. So in this case, that young man is walking around with a string in his hand, twirling it around. His speech is a little, and it's what they say is sometimes people with autism have a robotic or computer-like voice. And in interaction, this young man, his voice is very rigid like that, and it's very computer-like. So seeing him playing with the string, seeing during that brief conversation, those are red flags that I saw. So what I do is train officers to look for those characteristics, to understand what stimming it is and what's so critical about it. And it, stimming could be hand flapping. It could be pacing. It could be rocking. It could be humming. It could be auditory. It could be a lot of different things. But if I give the officers examples of what this is, and you've kind of planted that seed in their heads, so wait, wait a minute, I've seen this before. I had training on this. Maybe this isn't somebody who's in the influence. Maybe it is a disability. Even communication components, if... Um, you see so many things and now you start asking questions and you get no response. You know, a significant portion of the autism population is nonverbal or has limited verbal ability. When you start seeing these things and you realize that you start looking at these characteristics, now you start building it. And now, okay, okay, let's try a different communication strategy. Let's try visuals. Let's try PEX cards, which are picture exchange communication system, um, but they're just visuals with demands that I created just for law enforcement interactions, questions that we would ask as law enforcement. And now you start putting all this together and you start saying, oh, okay, this isn't somebody in influence. This isn't somebody evasive. This is somebody who has an autism diagnosis. And here, let's use some of these strategies that I developed to create this positive interaction, assist with communication, assist with de-escalation. I talk about de-escalation strategies. You know, most of the calls that we're going to get as law enforcement involving autism are either aggressive or self-stimulating behavior or a wandering event. So if I train the officers on how to handle these two incidents, we start creating this understanding of how these interactions should go. You may respond to, you know, your local shopping center for a child who's screaming and yelling and a mom or a father dragging them out of the store. Well, for us, when we get dispatched that, it's going to look like a child abuse or a potential kidnapping. When we get there, we realize that it's not. It's a child with autism who's just overstimulated and is on sensory overload. Is now having a meltdown due to their interactions and just being overloaded with too much stimulus building it. So when we go there, do we treat that as a kidnapping or we treat that like that? And it's starting to recognize these characteristics and understanding. You can start to reduce some of these negative interactions or negative you know, interactions that we're having with our special needs community. Now, to go back to something you just said a minute ago, you were saying that uh, you know, an appropriate response or one of the responses that you that you train is to use visual communication. Can you explain that a little bit more? Were you saying that you you created something specifically for law enforcement officers to use for that? Yeah. So. I spent three years as a school resource officer. So I spent three years in our okay. school district and I'm, it, my, my school district was a little bit different in that I had eight schools total. So I had our junior high and all of our elementary schools. So I bounced between several of our schools, but when we went in, I just took a page out of what school districts have been doing for many, many years and created a set of visual cards to help us with those nonverbal situations. So I created the cards based off of situations that we would have during a law enforcement interaction. Are you hurt? Do you need help? I'm a police officer. Do you need a fireman? What's your address? What's your phone number? But visuals help um, with that communication. 
All I did was take a strategy that schools have been using for many, many years and incorporate them into our everyday carry equipment as law enforcement. So I carry a set of these cards on my duty bag in my car. And you have somebody that's nonverbal or you now have somebody who's dealing with a disability. You can use these cards to help with that communication. And we've had several incidents just in my town, in my jurisdiction, where we utilize these cards to assist with communication. It's a very low-tech, cheap, easy way to establish communication with somebody's nonverbal. Another very simple way is we carry a whiteboard, a dry erase marker board in our squad cars just to help with nonverbal communication. It's a great de-escalation tool as well. Um, it's part of our everyday care equipment. We've created sensory kits. So they contain noise-canceling headphones, different fitteds, our PEX cards or our communication cards, our whiteboard. These are all tools that we can use to assist with de-escalation and make these interactions more positive. Simple, easy strategies that are easy to incorporate in any agency. And it's part of my training is I show officers and show departments how you can easily incorporate these things into your everyday carry equipment for very minimal cost. And it won't take up a lot of room in your squad cars. I know how much stuff we carry in our cars, but um, it doesn't take up a lot of room and they're very simple and easy things to use. And the benefits of them far outweigh any cost that you will associate with your department. Yeah, it's certainly no reason not to have another tool on your tool belt. That's that's exactly the goal of it. It's it's a very simple and e- simple and easy strategy. Um, some partners just don't realize. They're like, man, we never thought about that of carrying these things. But until you until you have some personal experience or interactions with somebody with autism, like in my personal experience with my own sons, I take my personal life and incorporate it into what I do in my professional life, and that's how I design my training and my um, my courses for law enforcement officers. Is I tell these guys, I said, I do this every day. I said, a lot of what I'm going to talk to you about today are from my own successes and my own failures with my own sons. And I understand these strategies. I've utilized these strategies and I know they work. Every situation will be a little bit different. But if you remember these key components of how this interaction should go, you'll create this, this positive interaction. And that's really the ultimate goal. And these simple, easy tools that we can incorporate into our agencies are a great way to work with our special needs community. Here we are with chapter four of the Marketing Minute, tips to help you start your own business post-law enforcement or grow your existing business. Today, we will continue in our series, the seven critical elements of an effective story-based marketing strategy. To quickly recap where we've come from to this point, in chapter one, we met the hero, not you, but your customer. In chapter two, we learned that they have a problem to overcome. And in chapter three, we identified that you and your business are the guide. Imagine this scenario with me. Your hero is on a mission to take an ancient artifact on a long journey to a mountain they must climb so that they can throw the ancient artifact into a volcano and save humanity. At the base of the mountain, your hero encounters a raging river that they must cross, the problem. The hero knows that they must cross the river, but if they step into the water, they will immediately get pulled under by its strong currents. The hero takes pause to consider their options and sees someone on the other side. That's you, the guide. You've already crossed the raging river and you're not dead, so you must know the way. You've already conquered the problem yourself and likely you've helped others cross it too. It is at this point we identify the fourth critical element, the plan. You've already captured your customer's attention because you've spoken to them in a way that properly communicates that they are the hero, you understand their problem, and you are the guide who can help them overcome it. Now, they want you to give them a plan 
to achieve the same success that you and others have experienced before them. Step one, jump to the rock. Step two, hop to the log. And step three, swing on the vine that will take you to the other side. Action is the antidote for fear and a simple actionable plan is the key to getting your customer to move from a position of fear and uncertainty to one of action. That's it for today's Marketing Minute. You can check out every chapter by going to psi.chat forward slash marketing minute. Now let's get back to the show. I mean, some of the things that we kind of do with our department is we try to host like special needs events and it's really to build that relationship with our special needs community. And it's something that agencies usually don't do. They really don't reach out to their special needs communities. And we've started to do that in my agency. And we host special needs events. We host parent training as well. You know, part of big part of this is that, you know, we're training law enforcement, but parents of children with special needs need to kind of understand what we do as law enforcement and what the expectations are when we arrive on scene. So it's really a two-way street. And if we can build understanding on both sides of it, we can really meet in the middle and prevent some of these things from happening. So my parent training, I talk about having a safety plan for your kids, incorporating, get to know your first responders. Many departments have what they call a special needs registry. So it's pre-registering your uh, loved ones who have a special need with the department so that when we are, before we arrive, we have that information in hand so we know what we're interacting with autism identifiers in your children, whether it's an ID bracelet or some other form of identifier. Some of the things that we've started doing in our agency is we hand out window cleans and it says, I have a son or a loved one with autism, whether it's in the car or at home. So when we arrive, we can see those things and say, okay, we know what we're dealing with when we walk in to the situation and knowledge on both sides is critical. And I think that's where a lot of it, there was a huge missing part with it, especially with law enforcement is we didn't have any knowledge or experience or training regarding autism. And I think that's a lot of what we're starting to see in some of these interactions that agencies just did not have training or don't have those resources or have never had, you know, there's officers that have never even heard of autism or understand what autism is until they get a little bit of training. Um, and it's a critical component in building a relationship. You know, my agency is very good about discussing how we interact with our special needs community because we want to build that relationship. We want them to understand that we understand their disability. You know, we want to have this positive relationship. So those are some of the things that we're doing as well. And it's, you know, multi-level approach of how you um, build that relationship with your special needs um, community because every community's got them, every jurisdiction's got them. And it's not a matter of if you're going to deal with somebody with autism, it's when, because it's going to happen. One in 59 children have an autism diagnosis in this country. Three and a half million people live every day in this country with an autism diagnosis. And it's estimated that anywhere between 10 and 20% of the individuals that we will have interactions with on a call for service will have some form of disability. So it is going to happen. It probably already has happened. And truthfully, you've probably, many officers have had an interaction with somebody with that's on the autism spectrum, but never even realized it because they didn't weren't aware of it. And that's, that's the goal of my company. That's the goal of my training is to build that level of knowledge. Some states are great in that they mandate training uh, for their officers, but a lot of states do not. Illinois, my home state, does not mandate continuing training regarding autism. Officers get it in the academy now, which was not there 20 years ago, but it is now. But after that, there's no requirement that officers get additional training relating to autism anytime in their career. It's encouraged, but it's not mandated. 
So unless they go to a CIT course or sit through another course relating to autism, they will probably never get any training on autism ever again in their entire career. And that's unfortunate because we know how critical it can be. Yeah, it's definitely important. And I'm glad that you're bringing awareness to it. I, I really like what you guys are doing with the community aspect of things. I mean, that's really brilliant to go about it from those two different angles, because of course we can sit in our, our own little training rooms, right? And we can do all this, that this sort of training and awareness, but it doesn't really translate necessarily to the community unless we're also inviting the community into that with us and in, in approaching them to be proactive and communicate with them about what we do. And so I, I absolutely love that. How long have you guys been doing that? So we've been doing it a few years and it started uh, a few years ago. And really what it was is I really the big thing that inspired me to kind of create this, um, these programs where we interact with our special needs community was an email that we had received from a resident in the town that I work in. And it was directed towards my chief and he voiced some concerns as a father of a son with autism. And he was really concerned about how we would interact with his son if he had to call us for assistance. Would we understand his son? Would we be able to de-escalate him? Could we be of assistance um, if he called us? And my chief sent me the email and says, do you mind responding to this individual? And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm like, I, I definitely will. And I knew his son um, from my time in the schools. So I knew who his son was. So I had reached out to him um, and he actually coached a special needs soccer program in our town called Chicago Top Soccer. And I went out there, I did a presentation for the parents of the children involved with the program, talked about some of the programs that we uh, did as a department. And then uh, when I was there, I fell in love with the program. So not only did I register my own two sons to play in his soccer program, but I'm also a coach. So I've been coaching with him for the past four years now. Um, okay. And what we did, what we decided to do is we wanted to have a host of first responder game. So our kids have a wide range of disabilities from intellectual to developmental to physical, but our kids are assigned a buddy every game to be able to help facilitate play. So what we did is we just removed our buddies and we made the buddies for that day, our officers from that department and our firefighters. So we come out, invite our officers out and we pair our officers up with one of our kids from our soccer program. And it's created this amazing relationship between our officers and our special needs community and that we were able to build this and the officers now have had some interaction in a positive setting with these kids and these kids have now had a positive interaction with the officers in a setting that they're very comfortable with because soccer is a big thing for them um, we host a huge touch of truck event afterwards so we have the kids sit in the squad cars and see the squad cars and understand them and the fire trucks and we're really hesitant with the lights and sirens because some kids are very sensitive to the noise but it's continued to grow every single year that we have done it. Um, and it's just a great way for in a neutral environment, not in a call for service or an emergency or crisis situation where our officers are now interacting with these kids. And when it comes down to it, they just see that they're really just kids. They have some amazing and unique characteristics associated with them. But when it comes down to it, they're just kids. And it's one of the special needs events that we do every single year. Um, it's been a huge success. And, you know, we've been, um, able to do it every year in our department and our fire department has been great in building this, this, this event every single year. And it's our kids favorite day of the year. When we are, we usually do it to close out our season. Um, and we do it for several years. Uh, you know, we do a lot of parent training. Well, um, we work in collaboration with our school district where they'll have a special needs resource fair. We'll invite different resources from the community out to talk about resources available for um, their disability. We always have a booth there. We always have a stand there. We talk to the parents. We get to know the kids. 
We talk about our programs. We get them registered in our special needs registry. We offer them the resources that we, you know, offer as an agency, whether it's creating a safety plan for a wandering event or registering them or fingerprinting or training the parents on how we're going to, when we arrive as law enforcement or what we do as law enforcement and what the expectations are and how to create these safety plans for their own kids inside their houses. You know, if we have a wandering event, we follow up with every family that we have a wandering event with just to create a safety plan. Is there something we can do to prevent this from happening again? What resources do we have available as a department so that we can help locate them or communicate with them or any other strategies to help the de-escalation in one of these incidents? And it starts with little things like that that agencies can do to start start building a program. You know, most departments have a CIT program, but it's always been focused on mental health related issues and not your intellectual or developmental disabilities when it should be. And there's a lot of different resources out there that you can incorporate into your agency that can help build this. And really what I did is I did the work for everybody. I found these resources. I created these resources so that an agency can walk in, go through the training and have all these resources at hand to be able to immediately incorporate them and build, start building a program that's unique to your community. So the courses that you offer, is is it essentially, a is the intention to piggyback off of CIT? Like this is additional information above and beyond. Is it its own standalone thing? And I guess maybe that's the other point of clarification here too, is are you offering multiple courses or is it just one course that you tailor to your specific audience? I do multiple courses, but really the main course is geared for law enforcement. I do do courses for um, firefighters. There is a huge firefighting aspect where firefighters are now having the same interactions that we are. Um, but I also do a little bit for dispatchers as well, because they're, we know that they're our first line and receiving these calls and understanding what it is. We started to build this training for dispatchers as well as knowing what questions to ask, how to ask it. Um, what are the certain things we're going to look for during an interaction and making sure that office information gets relayed to the officer. But my focus is starting from the characteristics of autism the de-escalation strategies, communication strategies, even some case law associated with it, and then how to build a program to build that relationship with your special needs community. So the training is all-encompassing. So in an eight-hour block, you'll get everything you could possibly need to help start to build a program. And again, I have the resources out there. I've done the homework for the resources or created the resources that departments can have them and start to build your programs, whether it's how to get a sensory kit or those PEX cards or different resources to use with visuals. Social stories are another great thing that we've incorporated as well. Um, I have those resources already done so a department can walk in and use everything we, that we've produced and it's based off of my own experiences that would work. Is this all in-person training or do you offer this online as well? Traditionally, I've always done it in person, but with the current um, state of affairs with COVID. <laughs> One of those uh, questions have, we have to ask now. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a question we have to ask. Yes. And I've started to definitely do some things via Zoom or Google Meet where we can do a remote class for your agencies. I'm working with an agency out of Nebraska to do something for them. Sometime in January, we're just trying to nail on a date, but I'm going to do a two hour block for them via Zoom. Um, so, you know, we can definitely cater training needs to departments and based off of everything that's going on with the current pandemic, I have to change my strategies with training, but I, you know, I'm been very fortunate enough to be able to train all over the country. I was just down in Tennessee, um, in November, again, I'm working with an agency in Nebraska. Um, I've been out to the Pacific Northwest in Seattle, 
So I've been very, very lucky to be able to train all over the country. Uh, but I'm definitely willing to work with agencies that want to do it. And if they want to do a remote class, that can easily be done. Awesome. So do you travel all over the country if somebody asks you to come teach? Because you're based out of Illinois, right? Yeah, I'm just I'm in the Chicagoland area. So yeah, but I am happy to travel and do it. If agencies want to do something in person, I'm happy to travel out and be able to do it in class and in-person class. My training ranges from two hours to four hours or an eight-hour block. So we obviously cater to a particular agency of what their needs are. Um, obviously, we know the eight-hour block is much more in-depth and there's more into it. But for agencies just looking for a basic overview, a two-hour block would be the minimum. And, I, and I'm scrambling to get all the information in two hours, but it, it can be done to really get the full understanding and how to do things is really the eight hour block is the preferred method. And that is highly the way I would go if I was training an agency. A lot of my classes are certified as well. Awesome. Yeah. So you probably have all the material you can just submit probably uh, any state. I mean, I know that's what we used to do a lot of time here in Colorado. We had somebody that we wanted to bring in for training and we would just submit the, the uh, training materials or have the instructor do that. And, and usually post with, certify it. So um, sounds like you've you've been through that and jumped through those hoops with a few states now. Yeah, it's it's different from state to state. Sure. But if I can get through it, if I can get through it in Illinois, Illinois is probably one of the, one of the most difficult to be able to do oh, it okay. with. My class has been certified in several states, so I'm happy to travel out and um, meet up with agencies if we can. And I, I'll happily do multiple agencies if that's an option too. In Wisconsin, that's typically what I do. We open it up and Last fall, I was up in Wisconsin, and I think I did 27 different agencies. They're all incorporated into the training from particular offices, not entire departments, but particular officers. So I had like 27 different departments. And now we're actually scheduling up in Wisconsin, um, hopefully for the spring, if things begin to open up, if they ever open up. Um, my goal is to get back up there in March or April to do another class for um, the Milwaukee area. Great. Well, I mean, I hope you're uh, doing a lot more traveling than that. I think this is a excellent training and certainly something that's well needed. And I appreciate that you're bringing awareness to it. You know, it's certainly, uh, you said you've educated me some today. And so I guess actually just to recap some of the things we've talked about, you know, we, we talked about, uh, the importance of recognizing that, uh, that autism specifically is a disability, not a mental illness. Um, and then, uh, Stefan shared with us that, uh, it tends to, uh, present itself in three main ways and that's via communication, social interaction and repetitive actions. And then you gave us, uh, some things to, to consider on, on how to recognize somebody that might be, uh, struggling with a, a disability and some responses to do and for, for those types of scenarios, as well as uh, we talked about your training that you offer. So do you have any, any closing thoughts that you want to give us? No, I just, Adam, I really appreciate the opportunity. And anytime I can get on a platform and talk about, you know, how important it is for us as law enforcement to train um, regarding autism is, is a benefit. And I, I tell every officer I train the same thing when I close my training, it's maybe not today, Maybe not tomorrow, but maybe somebody in this room or somebody listening today is going to have interaction with one of my two sons. Their interactions, their characteristics, their behaviors can sometimes easily be misunderstood. I want to make sure that law enforcement has the most critical and updated information regarding autism they can possibly get because someday they may be interacting with one of my two sons and I want to make sure that they are well prepared as a law enforcement officer to be able to handle that interaction. 
And it's kind of where I leave every one of my trainings because that's really the, my ultimate motivation is to um, make sure the officers understand and prevent these incidents that are occurring in our jurisdictions, not only for the safety of our officers, but the safety of the individual involved and, and clearly to reduce the civil liability associated with our agencies. It's definitely a worthy cause. Well, why don't you let everybody here know how they can get a hold of you if they want? Um, maybe they're just looking for some resources, like you mentioned, and different things that they can keep in their their patrol cars and their bags to respond uh, appropriately with with individuals who have autism. Or maybe they want to contact you uh, to find out about having a course. Uh, can you tell everybody how to get in touch with you, how to stay connected on social media and those sort of things? Yeah, I'm not, I don't have a huge social media presence, but I am on LinkedIn. Um, you can just search my name, Stefan Buys, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can also go to my website. It's www.bluelinespectrumsafety.com. That's an easy way to learn a little bit more about my background. And then any agency requesting um, and training can actually do all that right through the website. Um, and those, that is probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. And you can also email me as well at bluelinespectrumsafety at gmail.com. Don't be alarmed by a 3 a.m. response. I, I am a midnight guy, so I operate differently than the rest of the world. But I will definitely get back to you as soon as I can. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you on the show. I really appreciate it. And again, thanks for bringing some more attention to uh, this training that is greatly needed. Adam, it's my pleasure. And thank you again. All right. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out this episode of Public Safety Innovators Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please head over to my website at publicsafetyinnovatorspodcast.com or simply psi.chat where you can check out episode notes and other episodes from the show. While you're there, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or really anywhere else that you prefer to listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate if you could help other people find the show by leaving a review wherever it is that you prefer to listen to the show. I'd love to hear from you if you have feedback about the show, a suggestion on a guest, or maybe you're a public safety innovator yourself and would like to be a guest on the show. Please head over to my contact page on the website and you can submit that information there or just email me at adam at psi.chat. All right, I'll catch you on the next episode.